Good morning, everybody. It's a beautiful morning. I wanted. I thought I would remind you guys about this because um, it's so cold in here. Um, we're almost to the end of the hot months. So I just want to encourage you to persevere. And then you guys will be, this place is going to get warmed up during the cold months and you guys will get to enjoy the nice warmth of the sanctuary. It's going to be such a total, total shift. So you guys will enjoy that. Um, anyway, it's a good day. I, I wanted to, to just, just exhort everybody as we go into this, this word today. It's the last one from the, in this series. Um, and the word, I was thinking about this this morning and how the Bible says um, that, that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And it goes on from there and it says, not hearers only who deceive themselves. And the, the point that I want to bring to the forefront, especially with a series like this that's very practical and it's very interrelational, um, if we hear the truth and even agree with the truth, but don't practice the truth, then we will, not, we will not bear the fruit that comes from the truth. And so we cut ourselves short. And so the deception that happens there is, I heard it and I agreed with it. I said, oh yeah, I think Pastor Joel's right there. I think that's true. Or yeah, it seems like that's what the Bible's saying. Um, I think that's what God wants me to do. Or you can even go as far as to say, and I'm going to do it. But if there is no doing of the word, then we never reap the reward. So I just want to bring that to the forefront as we go into this last one in the series. If you need to go back and listen again, if you know that throughout the last four or five weeks, God has really put something specific on your heart, but you know you haven't begun to walk in it, I want to encourage you, if you need to revisit the message, the messages from the prior week, they're online and on the app. Um, I think they're on the app. Um, but if, uh, but if, you, if you have already, I mean, if you, if you know what you need to do, I want to encourage you, don't delay. Don't delay any longer and begin to practice these things because God will, God's, God's word is powerful and the truth is what sets people free. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, then you'll know the truth and then of course by practicing it, but he said, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free, will set you free. And so I want to just encourage you to, to also, as we go into this last one about siblings, brothers, sisters, brothers and brothers, sisters and sisters, our relationships with our siblings, um, to prepare your heart to hear from God and also to prepare your will to submit to his will, to prepare to, to, prepare to act. You know what I mean? Um, here, here am I, Lord, send me, is kind, of the, is kind of the attitude of the servant of God. Here am I, send me. Who will go for us, God says. He, and Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And I want us to, to encourage us all to have the attitude of here am I, send me. If there's anyone if, I've, if I want to bring my gift to the altar, but you show me there's someone else who's got, a, who's got an issue with me or I've got a broken relationship, then I'm willing to set the gift down and go. And I recognize that this stuff's hard. I know it is. And, and to go and face somebody we've been, um, in some cases, separated from for years is very difficult. Um, where there's been silence, where there's been intentional, willful, we've been ignoring each other, pretending each other don't exist. Relationships can, can go dark um, when they get bad. Um, there's times when boundaries have been necessary. Boundaries because of abuse and other things that have been going on. There's boundaries that were absolutely important to, to put into place. Um, and some, but there's all, there are times where God will ask us, not necessarily in those cases to remove the boundary, but, but to step around it for just a minute and say, 
I just want to let you know that I have forgiven you for these things. Or if there's anything in your heart to say, I need to ask you to forgive me. And then you just let it, and you just kind of let it lie. And I, so I can't, there's so many variations and dynamics and ways that we apply these truths. I can't speak to every person's individual situation. You have to really press into God for wisdom. But the orientation of our heart and our mind and our will has to be, I want to hear something and I want to know the truth and I want to then go out from here and walk in the things that I hear. Can we all agree on that? Because that's where the life is. So do the hard thing and, and you will reap the reward of righteousness. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you that it speaks to us. Thank you that your word is alive, that we're not coming to a dead God, but to the living God, not to a dead book, but to a living word. And that we also, Lord, have your spirit alive in us, ready to to seize upon this word and to apply it and to stir us and to give us all the help and all the grace and everything that we need uh, for life and godliness already purchased at the cross. And you're ready. You're standing by in readiness, Lord. And I pray that you'd be a helper to us in this moment in this time, in this hour. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to overcome ourselves, our own great obstacles, our own great, our own worst enemies sometimes, our own selves. I pray in Jesus' name you'd help us to rise above it, Lord. I pray you'd help us to resist all the temptations of the flesh to, to, uh, to, to be selfish or not to act on the things that you speak. I pray you'd help us to be strong against the deceptions of the evil one who is always ready to accuse the brethren on the one hand and then to excuse us on the other from any responsibility. And I pray in Jesus' name you would give us instead in its place a spirit of truth to speak truth to our hearts and to dispel all else, Lord. And I pray, God, that as we walk in these things, we'd see tremendous reconciliation and healing in our families, God, and throughout the body of Christ. We trust you to do it and to work through us as we obey your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin in Psalm 133 this morning. Psalm 133. In fact, this is the whole psalm. Just three verses. Three precious verses that that contain a a world of wisdom and truth that also contain God's heart for brothers and sisters and for unity among us. In Psalm 133, it says, Behold, look, look and see how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And if we just pause there for a second, we've all seen what it looks like for brothers, sisters, families to dwell together in disunity. We've seen it in our own homes at times. We've seen it in other people's homes. We've seen how horrendous disunity is. Um, when you stand by and watch people abiding together in unity, the spirit inside of us rejoices. And that's what this person is experiencing right here. They're most likely looking at unified brothers, unified brothers and sisters, people in the same, of the same heart and the same mind dwelling together. And he says, how good and how pleasant it is. It's like the precious oil upon the head. Coming down upon the beard, this is the anointing oil. Even Aaron's beard, Aaron was the high priest, and he must have had a tremendous beard. Even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the beard, a notable beard of some kind anyway, coming down upon the edge edge of his robes. 
So this is a lot of oil. It's like saying this is like this, just the, the flowing of the anointing oil all over this guy. And then he gives another comparison. It's like the dew of Hermon, Mount Hermon, coming down upon the mountains of Zion. And he says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. So we can take from this a simple truth. Where brothers, siblings, where brothers dwell together in unity, God commands his blessing. And I think we could say it when this, this reaches its fullest potential, we could say eternal life will not be far behind. And what I mean by that is that God, I believe that in the heart of God is for siblings within a household to play in a Christian home, let's say, where the gospel is heard and where the gospel is known, for, um, for, for siblings to play a role in one another's salvation. Because they're, they're companions, they're life companions, usually not separated by only a few years in age. There can be broader gaps, but you've got this kind of companionship and walking together, this mutual, they're in the same spot in life. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, they live in this household with these parents. They've got a unity. They've got a, com- a little community going. If there's just, it only takes two, and you've got a little community of people with shared interests. And God at the place where, where the brothers dwell together in unity, it says he commands his blessing. And when God commands his blessing, guess what? It is blessed. If God says, I command my blessing, my blessing is upon you. Well, guess what? It's, it's blessed. And the blessing he's named specifically here is life forever. So if we just go right to the highest thing that sibling relationships can achieve, I believe that God wants us to know that he wants our sibling relationships to be an instrument for the gospel, that he wants the way that we live to inspire one another. He wants us, by the way that we live out our faith, to challenge the people in our families to want to know God. Even if, you know, we have families that are so divided and so different. We have people, you know, the theory, right, of family is everybody's raised in the same home, so everybody comes out with generally the same ideas. But that's not how it goes, is it? You know what I mean? You've got people on far separate ends of every spectrum that's available. And they grew up under the same parents, you know what I mean? The same family. And um, so... But for those of us who know Christ, I believe that God wants us, wants parents to instill it in the children and the children to have it as understood among them that they are supposed to play a role in challenging one another to be more like Christ if they know Jesus and if they don't, to to inspire their siblings to want to know God. And that unity is key. Disunity, on the other hand, leads to rivalry and strife. And you could make the chicken or the egg argument here, which came first, you know, that it was a rivalry first, was a strife first, whatever, disunity, but it all goes, it all runs in the same pack. But disunity, on the other hand, leads to rivalries and strife, moves the heart toward hatred, and can lead to violence. And we're going we're gonna to see this, we're going to look at the oldest, the oldest sibling rivalry in the entire Bible. Um, but I want us, as we go into this message, I want us to be thinking about, because what we're doing is we're looking at, we want to understand, like, what's the goal? What's the hope? What's the desire? What are the hindrances to those things being achieved? 
And then how do we overcome those hindrances? And if we have to build relationship or continue building relationship, or in some cases start to build a relationship, how do we do that? Um, so we can be, so I want to make sure that this, that clearly, even though we're going to look at a couple of brothers fighting with each other, it's brothers to brother, it's sister to sister, it can be young, it can be old, it can be brother fighting with sister, it can be anything. I'm, and we're looking at disunity and in in, in how, it, how it works its way through. Um, but I want us to, to just to consider all sibling relationships as we look at this together. So all the way back in Genesis chapter 4, <clears throat> now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. That's why he's named Cain. Cain means his maker. In other words, his maker brought, a, brought about a man-child into the family, brought a son. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And now it already, watch this. So we've got Cain, we've got Abel. Two sons, same family, right? So, what, so what's God, what's God going to have these guys do? Let's see. Abel was a keeper of flocks. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. So already, they've got different callings, right? Already, they've got different things that they're responsible for. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. So let's pause right there for just a second. So Abel, um, Abel is a keeper of flocks. So when it's time to bring an offering to God, what does he do? Well, he takes from the best of what he has and he brings it to God. He sacrifices something from his flock, one of the first and the best that he has, and brings it to God. Well, Cain, his brother, also wants to bring an offering to God. So what does he do? He's a keeper of the ground. So he's in the garden and he's got all the, you know, the fruits, trees, and all these other things. So what does he do? Well, he takes from the best of what he has and he brings it to God. And so we can look at this and say, well, why, what's the deal? What's the deal with God saying no to, to, to Cain and yes to Abel? Because it seems like they both more or less did the same thing. And I think we just have to understand um, that from the very beginning, because sin had come into the world, remember this, right? Um, that God began to require blood offerings. So even though you could argue for Cain that maybe he wanted, he was trying to do the right thing, he, what he brought to God was not a blood sacrifice. And so God, even though God, you know, even though God is very gracious and kind, he couldn't accept an offering that was outside the parameters. He required blood because now sin had come into the world. So you could say, well, wasn't that convenient for Abel that what he had was things that required blood? And isn't that inconvenient for Cain? And you can look at all the reasons behind this. But the bottom line is they both were to obey God and both were to bring a blood sacrifice. Abel brought one from, the, from his flocks and Cain brought an offering that had no blood in it. And so God had to reject his offering. But Cain became very angry, the Bible says, and his countenance fell. What do we call that? When someone becomes very angry and their countenance falls. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, when, I, when I read this, I just, you just look at this and you go, man, there is nothing new under the sun. 
There's just nothing new under the sun. What ha- There's a couple of reasons. One, he doesn't like, nobody likes to be rejected. Everybody says to themselves, hey, what's the problem? I brought the best I had. So you've got self-justification. You've got the fact that rejection hurts your feelings. But then there's another element, isn't there? There's another dynamic to this that really makes it a bitter thing. And you accepted my brother. And so there was all this going on in the heart of Cain. And Cain says, this is not fair. It's not right. I don't like what's going on here. And Abel, you are not, you and me, we are not good right now. And that's where the breakdown begins. And as we look at this, I think it's, it's important for us to remember that, um, one, it is, uh, it's not uncommon for siblings to, to enter into strife with one another. If you have people where there's kind of like a religious, or, or I should say a spiritual element, where, where people are trying to like have a religious life and a faith with God and everything, it's not uncommon for people to be jealous of each other's faith to be jealous of each other's, you know, different expressions or somebody has a certain gift or whatever, or they're, you know, and they've got these other things and that that kind of tension does create those tensions. Um, But another way that we could also consider this is even though they had a, you know, obviously an earthly father and mother, Adam and Eve, um, they had a very, they had a similarly close relationship with God like their parents did. And back in the garden, when things were good, they were walking with God in the cool of the day and all this. And so in some sense, in one sense for Cain and Abel, to, have, to be rejected or accepted by God is very similar to being rejected or accepted by, you know, in the same sense of like your father in heaven. And so um, a lot of sibling rivalry comes up between siblings based on how they perceive they're accepted. Does that make sense? You always, you always do nice things for them, but you don't do nice things for me. You know what I mean? And so it comes up between parents um, and in their case, it comes between parents and the kids where they perceive inequality in the treatment, I guess. Um, and it come, came up in this case between them and their heavenly father. So listen to God. This is, I say, God's, he's, the heavenly, he's the heavenly father to them. Look how God takes Cain into his counsel now as a loving father would his own child. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Why are you all discouraged and frustrated and staring at the ground and shuffling your feet and doing all the stuff you do? If you do well, in other words, you know the right thing to do. So if you turn around and do the right thing, will not your countenance be lifted up? God's saying, I'm going to accept you. And won't that make you happy? And if you do not do well, he says, if you refuse to turn around on this thing, effectively, if you refuse to repent and change and do the right thing, let me give you a caution, son. Sin is crouching at the door. And sin is not passive, it's active. Listen, its desire is for you. And you must master it. Man, just right out of the gate, like this is, this is the fourth chapter of the Bible. And God is talking to them about, about how sinister and, and um, conniving sin is and how sin is not passive. Sin is like, well, if, if I choose to sin, well, then sin will affect me negatively. No, sin, he says, is seeking to master you. Do you think about sin that way? 
Do you think about sin that way in your relationships with other people, that sin is actively trying to sabotage? Do you think about it like that? Do you think about it when you want, when, you know, when, with your own kids, if you're a parent in here, if you're, if, you're a, 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 if you're in a family where you have siblings, do you think about that, that sin wants to sabotage your relationships with your siblings? Gets, gets you thinking, oh, thinking thoughts about them and all this other stuff, and then, you know, say, oh, yeah, you're mad. Well, yeah, just say it. Say what you're thinking. Say it. Get you to say hurtful things, vicious statements, and, and then to take vicious action, you know, and just hit him. And um, this is the caution that God gives to the child, to the son. Sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must master it. He said, you have to make some important decisions right now, and you got to get really serious really fast about this, because if you don't turn around and do the right thing, you're going to get caught in this snare doing the wrong thing. And I'm, I tried to, I was teaching my kids this when they were little, and we were doing, you know, family devotion stuff, and, um, and I read them this verse, and I said, oh, and I sent, well, I think it was Maddie, because I used to like to try to, anyway, it was funny. But so I, I think I sent Maddie into a room, and I said, and I said, Maddie, I'm going to, you go into your room, and I want you to shut the door, okay? And when I knock on the door, I want you to open it quickly. And she, oh no, just, I didn't say quickly, I said, I want you to open the door. And she said, okay. So she goes into her room, and I knocked on the door, and I crouched down like this. And I, and I kind of leaned on the door. And as soon as she opened it, I pushed it over and jumped into the room and grabbed her like this. And she screams, and, ah, you know, and all this stuff. But I want to, but I was, we were reading this verse, and I said, that's what sin is like. That's what sin is like. It's sitting right outside the door, crouching at the door. That's poised to pounce, right? It wants to master you, but you have to master it means when it leaps for you and, tr- and latches on to you and tries to make you submit to its will, you have to overpower it and overcome it and make it submit to your will. And that's, God's asking this of humanity in the fourth chapter of the Bible. You know what I mean? And did we, what, we didn't have much of a chance against sin way back then, did we? Because Jesus hadn't come yet. And God brought the law in. The law was like fences, putting up fences and stuff. But fences only get you so far. You know what I mean? Your heart has to be changed. Because if you want sin and sin's after you, well, guess what? You're going to find, you're, gonna, you're just going to be a match made in the lower realms, right? It's going to be a bad deal. But he says you've got to master it. So what did Cain do? Listen to this. It's so interesting. Cain told Abel his brother. God just told me that if I don't change my offering and, 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 and bring it, well, God said I'd be encouraged if I did the right thing. And he said, but sin is trying to get me. And I've got to do something before it, before it takes hold of me. He tells this to Abel. And Abel's like, wow, I mean, you know, that sounds like God gave you some pretty good advice. But it came about when they were in the field that Cain who did not do the right thing, but stayed on the wrong path, harbored the bitterness toward his brother, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Cain Cain is what you would call without excuse, wouldn't you say? Without excuse. There was no reason to think it was his brother's fault that he brought the wrong offering. God spoke to him graciously and extended him an opportunity to do the right thing. 
he repeated the counsel, meaning he heard it and understood it to his brother, and then simply chose out of the bitterness of his soul to take out his hurt and offense and all of this on his own brother, and it cost him his life. Now, we don't know. We don't know if when they went, got into the, this uh, little struggle in the field, whether Cain intended to kill his brother or not. We just know that that was the end result. And this is why we have, this is why I'm bringing this as a stern caution, because you don't, we, we give way to sin in our own hearts, and, and we struggle with our siblings, we fight with them, you know. I have vivid memories of just all the, you know, physical altercations, fights, and stuff that happened in my own household, four boys, you know what I mean, and a single mom, and we were just on a path of destruction. Man, I don't know how else to describe it. And, um, and the things you say and the things you do, and you, I mean, you are out for blood sometimes, you know. I had a friend over once, and my brother said something in front of my friend that really embarrassed me, and I just had enough. And he was my older brother. You're not supposed to mess with them generally. But there was a skateboard laying nearby, so I picked it up, and I smacked him across the head with the skateboard. And he's a lot bigger than me and meaner. And uh, I took off running, but he caught me. And I got what you call the junk beat out of me right there in the yard. And uh, my brother told me later he was trying to kill me. He meant it, I think, because he got his frog knuckle out and started pounding on my head right here. He, he told me, he said, I was, he said, he said, I was really mad. He kept hitting the bone right here. I couldn't barely open my mouth without pain for a few days. But I remember that vividly. And that was one of an innumerable number of altercations because we were not submitted to God and sin was just having its way with our hearts. And that's not good for a long-term relationship, is it, to have those kind of encounters. I was wrong. He was wrong. Who started it? You can't even, you know what I mean. You could tra- try to trace it out, but you know what? We were both wrong. And the stuff that was going on in our hearts was so much evil, so much darkness, and so much sin. And I'm glad he didn't succeed in killing me. And I hope some of you also are. <laughs> but but um, you, the point is, you don't know what's going to happen if you give way to this stuff. And so disunity is a very gentle word because disunity doesn't look like two people politely disagreeing on opposite sides of a room. Disunity can grow and swell into what I said earlier can lead even to violence. And violence can lead to death. And guess what? If you kill somebody, whether it was on purpose or an accident, if you did it in anger, then guess what? You spend some time in jail in most cases, unless you were defending yourself. You spend a long, sometimes a long time, even for a second or third degree charge. You, you know, it, it wrecks your life. It puts your life on a different course. And you've got blood guilt, which is a real thing, by the way, blood guilt. When you've killed some, when you've taken a human life, most of us in here probably haven't taken a human life, but if, you, but if a person ever does, it makes a mark on them. And it's very hard, except for the grace of God, for them to heal from that. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal. But let's look at the picture here. God made the siblings. He put Cain and Abel in the same family. But God gave them very different lives. Different callings, different jobs, different gifts, different dispositions. I mean, they were just totally different people. And God 
Let them be born to the same parents, raised in the same family, and still just widely different. And so the differences, I think we have to learn to expect, first of all. First, learn to anticipate the difference. You're not going to see eye to eye with your siblings. You're not going to naturally get along. There's going to be a lot of things you'll have to agree to disagree on. But how we conduct ourselves within the the context of those things, um, how we conduct ourselves within our differences makes all the difference in the world. When Abel pleased God and Cain didn't, rather than humble himself, Cain gave way to a sin that we call envy, and sin mastered him. So sin pounced on on Cain, and Cain um, agreed with the, the inclinations of his own heart through envy because he was upset that his brother was accepted and he wasn't. And it mastered him and he did something that was irreversible. And if you remember where the story goes from here, God comes to, to Cain and says, Cain, where's Abel? And God knows where Abel is. And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, am I his babysitter? That's his response to God. Am I his, my brother's babysitter? And God said, Cain, what have you done? For your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. That's what he said. So the innocent, the blood of the innocent cries to God. So God knows. He knows everything. But sin had mastered Cain. Envy, which is the root of a lot of disunity and strife in families. Envy is rooted in pride and comparison. And it has motivated historically the greatest of betrayals and even murder. If you look at Matthew 27, verse 18, this is what Pilate, speaking of Pilate, he, Pilate, as Jesus was on trial, he knew that because of envy, the Jewish leaders had handed Jesus over to him. In so many ways, Pilate's an interesting character in the Bible, but Pilate had more discernment than a lot of people around. The, The Pharisees, all the Pharisees' talk was about righteousness, well, it isn't right. This guy claims to be God. He, has, he, he does all these things. He, he heals on the Sabbath. You know, they tried to cast it in this very religious light. But when Pilate looked at it, he was a politician. He knew what this was. He said, oh, envy. They're jealous. They're jealous of this guy. And so they, take, they hand innocent Jesus over to Pilate. Pilate has no basis to condemn him, but their jealousy has put them into a fit and they are literally bloodthirsty. They were, even when he has Jesus scourged so that he's just disfigured from, the, from, the, from what he experienced and stands him up before them again. He says, okay, guys, look, the man's been punished. Let's let him go. What about that? They say, no, 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 no. Crucify him, crucify him. And all this was motivated by envy. So what did I say? Envy comes from pride and comparison. You know, the Bible says, do not compare yourselves one to another. It says, don't do it. You know, and this is, God spent a lot of time making you. He spent a lot of time and thought making you exactly you. And of course, there's things we're supposed to learn from observing one another and all this ways we change by being around each other and all those are good. But when we start comparing ourselves one to another, it opens up a doorway and the doorway that it opens is into this thing of pride and envy. It's where a lot of sibling rivalries come from because the younger sibling, normally this is how it goes, wants to be like the older one. And so the younger sibling starts comparing themselves to them and say, well, they listen to this music and they, just, they wear these clothes and they talk like this. 
And then they start trying to pick up all that stuff and try to do it themselves. And then the older sibling says, why are you, you're such a wannabe. I used to say wannabe. There's probably a new word. Man, you're such a phony. You're such a fake. Like, why are you quit trying to be like me? You know what I mean? The older sibling resents it. But, and now the younger sibling's getting crushed because all he ever wanted to do was to be like the older sibling. He wanted to be accepted, right, by the older sibling. But the older sibling wouldn't, didn't want competition, didn't want to, it was embarrassed by the younger sibling. And so he's always stomping on him, stomping on him, stomping on him, putting him down, you know, trying to get him to change his mind about stuff. And then the younger sibling is getting, now his heart is starting to change. It's starting to get hard. And he's starting to get, uh, you know, full of anger and contempt and all these other things. And yet, even though it's almost abusive, the relationship between the two, he can't, he, he, he still wants more than anything to get the acceptance of the other one. And it's this vicious cycle. And this happens all the time in families. happens all the time. Envy. I want to be like you. Or I'm jealous of what you have. And it opens up all kinds of room for strife and problems. So just a couple of things. I want to give you a couple of things as we go into this. Just a couple. If we've been establishing baselines as we moved along, there's some things that cannot be in relationships, or they will sabotage the relationship from the outset. And this is one. Siblings must never lay their hands on each other for harm. That's in anything. That could be physical, emotional, sexual abuse, any of the things. But siblings must never lay their hands on each other for harm, ever. And they must never call names or curse one another. To speak all that stuff over somebody else, you know what I mean? And, you know, and if you think curse is too strong a word... Just revisit your own history and tell me if it didn't chart the course of your life for you. Certain things that were said to you at certain times by certain people whose opinion you really value, whose opinion you really valued, it charts the course for people's lives. And there are people who destroy you with their words, and you can't seem to get over it. You end up living in the ditch that they dug for you. So siblings must never lay hands on each other for harm must never call names or curse one another. But if there's a way that we should be, and we're talking about baselines, if if siblings will abandon evil speech and strife, stop fighting with each other, stop using your words to hurt each other, and begin to lovingly support one another. It's just support. It's just, I'm here for you, and I want you to succeed. Then you will have each other's hearts. So let's see how misunderstandings come in and, um, and what the heart is beneath it all. Because sometimes it is just misunderstanding. If you go back to youth, so much of youth, the, the things that happen in families and youth that are hurtful or whatever, are, are, they're misunderstandings. It's, it's just that we don't know really how to relate with each other. We don't understand the impact of our words and actions. A lot of it's just immaturity and childishness. And I was, I was um, in reading Song of Solomon, there's a couple of passages, instances where, where the beloved, the, the bride, talks about her relationship with her brothers. And I think it's, really, it's actually very insightful. And it reminds me in, in, in very significant ways of just that nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, so here's what she says. Song of Solomon 1 verse 6. She's talking about her appearance because remember the whole book is about her wooing, wooing the beloved, the bridegroom. Do not stare at me because I'm swarthy. Swarthy is like the, the dark sunburned. She's saying I'm sunburned. For the, yeah, for the sun has burned me. 
And then she says, my mother's sons were angry with me. You know, there's another name for mother's sons. Brothers. Brothers. But she calls them my mother's sons. My mother's sons were angry with me. What did they do? They made me caretaker of the vineyards, she says. But I'm not taking care of my own vineyard. She's saying I wasn't able to take care of myself because my brothers got mad at me and they gave me the worst job. They pushed me outside and said, you're taking care of the vineyards. Well, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to be inside taking care of this other stuff. Pushed her out and made her take care of the vineyards. She said, and because I was out here, I kind of gotten, I wasn't even able to take care of myself. You know what I mean? She was supposed to be like, in her view, preparing herself some, for, this, for, the, for this husband that she was seeking out. And now she's like, I'm afraid because of my complexion. This was a concern she had because of the darkness of her complexion that somehow he wouldn't be interested in her. So she says, I haven't taken care of my own vineyard. But she says, that's the way her brothers treated me. So sometimes in, <laughs> in family relationships, right, we do things, we do the wrong thing. Brothers treat sisters poorly. You know, and we look at it and go like, she's your sister, man. She's a female. Have respect. You know what I mean? When you, you, when you're, they say that youth is wasted on the young. Have you ever heard that expression? It's like, because if I could know now, if I could know then what I know now, I would live a totally different life. But the only way I could know what I know now is to have lived the life that I've lived. So I guess I'm stuck with this situation. But if we, but so that's what parenting and all this is about. We're trying, we want our kids to learn from what we've learned so that they don't have to waste 20 years like so many of us wasted 20 years in, in some way or another, right? But with siblings, sometimes we're thoughtless, we're careless, and we do things that are insensitive. In this case, the brothers said, we're not messing with all that. It'd be like, you know, if you came home and there, and there were your sons off just messing around and your daughter was out cutting the grass and the boys had made her do it and it was their job. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be right. You'd say, well, how disgraceful. That was her experience growing up with her boys. Now, the interesting thing about Song of Solomon is that in chapter 8, we get inside the boys' heads. And I want you to see their regard for their sister. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just warn you in advance. They're still, la- they're still lacking in tact. There's still some gaps here. But listen to their brothers. We have a little sister, he says, and she has no breasts. You know, there's a lot of ways to say you have a younger sister. But that's, the, that's, that's what the brothers chose for the description of their sister. And he says, but listen to their heart, because now we're getting inside of their heads. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she's spoken for? So, so inside of their heads, and inside of their hearts, they've got this instinct given to them by God. We need to do some good for our sister. We need to do something that will benefit our sister. Yeah, we made her work all the vineyards and stuff. And that was kind of a jerk thing to do, admittedly. But what can we do for her? So they said, that she, they said she has no breasts. And look, they go on from here. And now they compare her to two flat things. This brother's okay. <laughs> There's no way around this. If she's a wall... We will build on her a battlement of silver, but if she is a door, we will barricade her with planks of cedar. So two flat things they compare their sister to, but listen, you got to hear the heart, because the heart is what matters most here. 
If she's a wall, we'll build her on her a battlement of silver. If she's a door, we'll barricade her with planks of cedar. Consider this. They're saying there's two different ways that a sister could be wired. Two different kinds of dispositions we might observe in our sister. One of them is a wall and the other be a door. And so what's the difference? Well, a wall is something that stops things. Things just bounce, you know, they bounce off the wall. You can't walk through a wall. If you want to go through a wall into the next room, you've got to go find a door, right? So the door, that's what the door is. The door is something that lets things through. And they're saying, on the day our sister is spoken for, what can we do for our sister? Well, first of all, we've got to figure out what kind of girl is our sister. And so, they, so they're looking at this whole thing. And, and so a wall would be a girl who is not that interested in the guys. Maybe she pushes them away. Maybe she's not doing very much to enhance her personal appearance in any way to try to be attractive, to try to engage with the guys, right? So that would be the wall. The door would be the girl that many, in many cases they would say is boy crazy. She's the girl who's like, where are the boys at? And she gets out there and she flirts with this boy and flirts with that boy, you know. And they're saying, if we've got a sister who's a wall, who's, a, who's not doing anything to try to move forward in this relational thing, we're going to do what we can. He says, we're going to build on her a battlement of silver. We're going to make her attractive. We're going to do that for our sister. And then they said, but if she's a door, we're going to lock, lock her up until we find somebody, you know what I mean, who's a good guy. We're going to find a good guy, and then we're going to introduce her to a good guy because we're not going to let her just get out there and do her thing. So this is what I'm trying to get to with all this. Brothers are called by God to be guardians and helpers to their sisters. They protect her from the prowling vermin of young manhood. Has anybody ever experienced the prowling vermin of young manhood? And, and they help her attract a trustworthy man. So I want to ask brothers, whether you're young or old, have you, did you ever see yourself as playing that kind of a role in your sister's life, that you're there to protect her? to keep her from trouble. And if in any way you can, you want to help her. You want to help advance, whether it's toward marriage or toward some other goal that she has. Do you see yourself as somebody who's there to help advance her goals and help her find her way through life? <clears throat> so they got to answer the question, is your sister a door or a wall? Is she guarded? Is she hesitant with relationships? Is she eager? Is she boy crazy? Because that's, that's going to change the approach that you take with your particular sister. But I want to say a word to brothers first and then to sisters. Brothers, can you advance that to the next one? Yeah. Brothers, practice being more mature than you are. Protect her, guide her, and be a blessing to your sister. And so, so you can practice being more mature than you are. How do you do that? Well, you just do the things you know are right even if you don't feel it. That's how you do it. And you could, and then you would, how do, so how do you actually become more mature than you are? Well, by practicing maturity. Just the, way, the same way that we grow in other things. You practice it, excuse me, so that you can become better at it, so that it can be built into your character. So even if you don't feel it, you begin to do the things that are right. Protect her, guide her, be a blessing to your sister. And sisters, this is, just young, this is advice for a younger, younger sister. Ask your brother, what he knows about the guys. He hangs around with these guys. He can tell you. He can tell you what's going on with them, who can be trusted and who can't. But let him, whether it's about, like I said, whether it's about marriage or, or some other goal that she has, some other desire, let your brother be a part 
of preparing you for your future life. When brothers are in their right mind, and sometimes they are, a brother wants to help his sister. He wants to be a blessing. It's a sign of maturity. He wants to be there for her. And so sometimes you've got to work through, if you've got past hurt and other stuff that keeps you from interacting, you've got to work through that stuff, repent, apologize, make it right, and then start off on a, on a, new, on a new foot together. But they want to be a part of helping you prepare for your future life. And brothers, if you have sisters, your sisters are training you. It's an opportunity for you to learn, as well as they can be understood, to understand females. Teaching you also to treat a girl with respect and honor. You know what I mean? It's also very similar um, to when, when you look at the, you know, they say many times one of the cautions that you, you can give to a, a young lady is, you want to know how this guy will treat you when you're his wife? Well, look at how he treats his mom. And look at how he treats his sisters. Observe his attitude toward women generally. If you want to know what he will be like as a husband, we'll just go ahead and look at the closest relationships that he has that are female and just consider how does he treat them? Because those same characteristics, when he's not, when he's, you know, when, when the honeymoon is over, as they say, he's going to, he's going to, um, these things are going to begin to manifest because that's his true character. So this is a training ground for brothers if you have sisters. Sisters, your brothers are called by God to model the protection and care your husband will one day provide. So this is when brothers are at their best. So this is a challenge to boys. You're not, anyway, a challenge to boys to say, model the protection and the care that a husband would provide. Watch out for her. Keep an, keep an eye on her. Make sure, you know what I mean? Like, we don't let our daughters do certain things by themselves. You know what I mean? So a lot of times it's like, well, if your brother goes with you, you can go. And, that, and, and so you want to see the brothers who don't always feel like that's a great opportunity for them to do. You know what I mean? They got stuff they want to do. They want to go, oh, you're not serious. You know what I mean? And I'm not passing judgment on that. I'm just saying it's one of those things where if you see yourself as like God put me in her life to watch out for her and to help her kind of see like I'm going to be, I'm going to be a good guy so my sister can see it and then she'll know a good guy when she sees one because I've been a, a brother to her in the truest sense. Within brothers and sisters, and really this applies to all sibling relationships, brothers to brothers, sisters to sisters, work together, not against each other. I think this is what, I think too often we try to, we try to establish independence. And I think we miss what's right in front of us, especially in youth. So much of the time it's like, well, I got to get out there and do my thing. And it's like, well, hold on a second, you've got resources around you. If you've got siblings, if you've got p- good parents, if you've got people who care about you, these are resources. These are people who can help you take steps in the right direction. And um, so instead of ignoring them, maybe uh, ask them some questions. Sometimes ask them for help. You wouldn't believe how much it blesses somebody in certain situations where you ask them to help. You, the person says to themselves, oh, they really value like what I might contribute. And it means something to them. But support each other with encouraging words and actions. So this is, um, this is not what you call rocket science, right? And yet, it's some of the least intuitive behavior that we see in, in children because of immaturity, right? And, as, and, but, and if that stuff, if the problems linger and it goes on into young adulthood, 
it goes on into adulthood, then suddenly it's like, well, these people are not coming to Thanksgiving together. Do you know what I mean? If you're going to be at Thanksgiving, I won't be there. And you have those kind of things. And the family divides that started in childhood with what might have seemed like little petty things go on into adulthood. And I think, and I guess the challenge that I'm trying to bring, and I, I, it's hard, you know, looking at all this, there's so many different dynamics in every family. Um, the challenge that I'm trying to bring is it's never too late to start to bring healing. It's never too late. If things are broken now, well, then we can take steps toward, you know what I mean? And sometimes you need to be, have open and honest conversations and say, hey, can we just agree on one thing? If we all, I want you to come to Thanksgiving and I'm going to be there. And I'm not going to talk about this. And if you can also agree not to talk about this, I'm not talking about Jesus. You don't really get an out on that one, you know what I mean? You're going to be real about your faith. But if it's politics or some other thing that's really got, that there's, if it comes up, oh my goodness, man, the blood just, the, it's like, lay it aside. Lay it aside. Humble yourself. And take the lowest place and just, you know what I mean? You can be like Jesus in any situation that you're in. And if we go back to our starting point there, he, there he commanded the blessing, life forever. And you remember the original goal of brotherly unity? It's that we want to lead people to Jesus. We want eternal life to be the outcome from our relationships. Well, then we got to seek unity, don't we? We got to bridge gaps. We got to make phone calls that haven't been made for years where there's distance. There's just drifting too. You guys have experienced relational drift where you just stopped act intentionally contacting each other, and so everything broke down. You know what I mean? And so where there's been drift, you just paddle back toward the middle, right? You find your way back and begin to, to rebuild. <clears throat> but supporting each other with encouraging words and actions. First, we stop criticizing each other and tearing each other down. We stop that part. We can do that, right? By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do that. And then we begin to let God give us words of encouragement, give us words that give hope, give us words that lead toward unity. In Hebrews 10.23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So like I said, you don't get an out on the confession of your hope. <laughs> if someone says, I'll come, but you can't talk about Jesus, you're going to, have to say, I'm sorry. I, that's one place I cannot bend, but I, I can be, I'll be gracious but, I, but that's who I am. So let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. But listen to what it says in verse 24. And let us consider, this is active thought, setting apart brain space to actually think about this. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How can I move that person closer to like a loving relationship? How can I help move that person toward good deeds? How can we do this for each other? And this is the kind of thinking. Now, this is talking about within the body of Christ, but this would apply to within our families if we motivated ourselves in the same way. Not forsaking, listen to what it says, not forsaking our own assembling together. You know what I mean? When you're mad at somebody, you don't want to be in the same room. That happens in the church. It happens in families. It happens everywhere. And you have to say, well, but we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. We're going to put ourselves in the same room and we're going to work through, our, work through our stuff in the best way that we can. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as the days progress, and we're in, of course, it's been 2,000 years since this was written. So the day is drawing near. 
nearer than nearer now than when we first believed. And he's saying the encouragement of assembling together and motivating one another toward love and good deeds is more important than it's ever been. And it's a key. It's the backbone to healthy relationships. So we want to consider this. How can I challenge my sibling to grow in love and good works? And this desire flourishes when it finds eagerness and humility in the heart of a brother or sister. The point here is, if both parties are working on the problem, you can see a lot of change really quickly. And you can't always guarantee that. You know what I mean? You never do know. what You can't control what somebody else does or what they think or how they act, but you can do the right thing. But when somebody else is moving towards you, in Philemon verse 20, Paul wrote this to Onesimus, his brother in the Lord. He says, yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. This is a heart that's opening itself up and saying, you know what? If you're moving toward me, I'm just going to I'm going to receive the benefit of being in a relationship with you. I'm going to let you refresh my heart. I'm going to let you move me closer to God. I'm going to let your example and your words move me um, <laughs> toward a benefit, a benefit in the Lord and refreshment. So if somebody's moving towards you, open up your heart and let them benefit you and we make a move toward the other person. So we keep spending time together. Build an atmosphere of love and support and encouragement. So to sum it up, build each other up. Build each other up. And you'll have each other's hearts. Let's stand up together. <clears throat> As I've said week after week, we have to go through the cross. You guys know this by now. Not around it. Not around it. Going through the cross means we accept the hard thing. We say, there's, 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 Jesus, the Bible says, accepted the cross because he looked past it to a joy that was on the other side. And that's the same way that you and I have to approach every single cross. It's like, it's not the cross. That's not the point. Is it going to be hard? Yeah, it's going to be hard. That's the cross. But what's on the other side of it if you do it? On the other side of it is at least the potential of reconciliation. What's on the other side of it is you could bring joy to somebody's life. What if somebody you've had bitterness toward for 20 years after this meaningful interaction and repentance and healing now becomes a close and a dear friend for the next 20 years? Would that be worth it? The answer is, yeah, it'd be worth it. It'd be worth it. So you've got to look for the joy. And if you can't, like I said, you can't control somebody else's heart or their actions. But if you do the right thing, then you will have pleased God. And that's a joy that you can look forward to on the other side. And God will say, I know they, they, they didn't return your kindness. But look, you did the right thing. And you are, I am pleased with you. You are my beloved child. And in you, I am well pleased. And that's a joy worth looking forward to on the other side. But with what experience I have with reconciliation, I have seen more often than not, 80-something percent of the time, the other person responds favorably. Even if not right away, sometimes they need some time to process, but the other person responds favorably, and we get to see the, the joy of a new beginning. And that's made possible through Christ. So I just, that's the challenge as we wrapped all this up, all these relationships we've talked about. Um, but particularly with siblings today. Go through the cross, not around it.
And if God is challenging you in any way to own some way you've been wrong with your sibling, then own it. Take ownership for it. Repent of it. Turn away from it. Apologize. And ask for a new beginning. Ask for a new start and see what God will do. Lord, we thank you for this time. Your faithfulness, Lord, stretches to the skies. And your loving kindness, Lord, throughout every generation. And we want to break off, Lord. There's families that have generational curses of strife. Everybody everybody in every generation, as far back as anybody can see, they just fought with each other and quit talking. And God, I'm praying in Jesus' name that we would be trendsetters in the sense of inviting the blessing, renouncing the curse, and building a whole new foundation for the family going forward in which, Lord, you bless to a thousand generations um, those who love you and keep your commands. I pray you'd use us for reconciliation. You've given us the ministry of reconciliation. Use us for reconciliation. Use us to break curses. Use us to invite the blessing. And I pray that you would bless every person who's willing to walk in your word and do the things, Lord, that are pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.